Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your host, Tim and Julie Harris. And I have to say, we're talking about one of those things today that some of you are just going to say, oh my God, damn and Julie, what are you talking about IRS tax codes for? Well, I'm going to tell you guys a true story. <laughs> I'll never forget this. So, Julie and I, our first year in business, in our early 20s, we sell over 100 houses our first year. 103 houses or something like that. And what I'm telling you guys is the bare bones truth of how it happened. We were not keeping track of how many houses we were selling. We had no real idea. Um, we, Julie and I were, uh, like I said, we were in our early 20s. We'd never made any money, never sold a bunch of houses, never nothing. We'd owned a couple businesses beforehand, but certainly nothing on the scale of what we were doing in real estate. We didn't know when Julie and I started as REMAX agents. And our, two, our broker's two rules were, when we joined the REMAX office was, pay your bill on time and don't, you know, don't cause me trouble. That was it. So there were no office meetings. There was no training. There was no nothing. You just basically were put cast to the wind and you either sunk or swim. And as long as you paid your REMAX bill on time, well, then great. And that's frankly the best way to run a brokerage. If you ask me, that's the only way to run a brokerage. Agents will do or they won't. So we were on our own devices and Julie and I started uh, shadowing top producing agents around the country. We would pay to drive to, you know, and that's what we did. We drove a couple to a couple agents, one to Colorado, in just different places. And then as a result of that, we just started to sell just a crap ton of houses. I mean, we were learning and then we were listening to a lot of Howard Brinton tapes. We were reading whatever we could. There's, there was no internet then. <laughs> there were no, there were, bar there were barely cell phones. Cell phones came around in the late eighties. By the time we were in the, real estate, the, there were. The MLS wasn't even online. Yeah. The MLS, there are paper, you know, a lot of you guys are laughing because it no sounds like we're talking boxes. about. Right. No electronic. It sounds like we're talking about the stone age, but it was really only 20 years ago. Now I realize some of you listening aren't even 20 years old. So uh, that's what happens when you're in your late forties. I digress. So uh, yeah, so we did this, we sold over a hundred houses and I remember it was like, I think, I don't remember the month to be honest, it was either June or July. I do remember where we were. Julie and I were sitting outside on like a curb of, outside of a movie theater in Dublin, Ohio. And it was a Friday night and we were obviously there to see a movie, waiting for the movie to start. And then Julie and I were trying to count on our hands how many houses we'd sold. And we got up to like, I don't remember the exact number, between closed and pending it was like 75. And um, yeah, so we called, uh, we, we called uh, our broker, Rory, and we asked him, and this, is, this, this was Rory and we love him. You know, this is the perfect broker, like I said. We called him up and we said, Rory, what's, you know, how many houses per year does the average agent sell? Like, what's a lot? What's a little? We really didn't know. And he said, how many have you sold? And I said, well, we think we sold maybe 70, 75, somewhere in there. This is what he said. This is the exact phone call listeners. He goes, call me back when you get to 100, click. Typical Rory. <laughs> well, that was the right answer for us. So we did. We called him back. And that turns out when we basically with closed and pending, we've closed like 103 or 104. And so we, um, uh, you know, National Association of Realtors wrote, we just a whole bunch of stuff happened as a result. We wrote our first book back then. It's no longer being published. We 
did, you know, we were being paid to speak all over the country. Remax was spoiling us with too much attention. And, you know, all these things happened. We met Howard Britton after that. And, you know, we, but Julie and I essentially got our start not from following anybody's system, but we got our start from basically the hard way of, list, of figuring out how to do it ourselves. Because back when we got into it, there was no coaching. Coaching didn't even exist. There were no form. There were just basically people selling cassette tapes and, you know, just, you know, silly things, basic stuff, stuff that wasn't really nowhere near the scale of what you guys get when you join, for example, Premier Coaching. When you join Premier Coaching, you literally get a business in the box. It's basically a complete system. We've said this before, and it's true. Premier Coaching is the program we wish we would have found back then, you know, because it has saved us so much time and energy, despite the fact that we did well without having any formalized, you know, training. So I tell you guys this story. And remember that today's show is about IRS tax code 179, because what happened the following year was actually kind of funny. So we didn't know really how many houses we'd sold. So you can just imagine what our accounting was like. We didn't keep track. Now, fortunately, we saved a lot of money. You know, we didn't have, we did pay off our student loans. We owed like $47,000 in student loans. We paid all those off in that first year. Um, you know, things like that. But we didn't have, um, we weren't spending any money on our business to speak of. We were just doing exactly what we asked you guys to do, the stuff that still works today, doing the real work in the business, not being lazy and just waiting around for someone to deliver you a lead. Um, and then what happened is the next year, we hired an accountant for the first time. I think his name was Fred. Is that right, Julie? Was Fred our original yep. accountant? Right. Yeah. And Fred goes, you guys owe. And it was just like this ridiculous amount of money. And he goes, here's what I want you to do. You guys got to go put money in your retirement accounts, maybe buy a rental property. And so we did all of that. And, um, you know, the, uh, it still owes some money. And I just remember thinking there is nobody that has ever told, ever prepared Julie and I, in our first year in the business, we earned hundreds of thousands of dollars in personal income. We went from earning like combined income the previous year, of maybe like 60 grand to earning after expenses, like 300,000. We earned more money our first year in the business. Now, remember guys, this is when we were in our early twenties in Columbus, Ohio. And trust me when I tell you that was a lot of money, but we earned more money than anybody we personally knew that we knew, knew family members, you know, things like that. There were people we knew from, you know, just that we were quite confident earned a lot more than that. But in our real, you know, folks that we could pick up the phone and talk to, we were earning more money than all of them. And that was a weird experience that we hadn't really planned for, hadn't really anticipated. A lot of psychology, psychological things, a lot of interesting reactions that people have when they realize that you're successful and you're successful, um, you know, in a market that's really competitive. A lot of things that happen as a result of that, but we're not going to talk about that on this on today's show. But I will tell you what was fascinating was no one had prepared us for the ramifications of earning that much money and tax rates were higher than guys, not lower. No one had told us to save money. No one had told us how to organize our finances. None of that. Sound familiar, listeners? <laughs> I say that because this hasn't is. changed. It hasn't changed. And so what we had to then do is we had to proactively go out and talk with people who were richer than us, who, you know, in our immediate circle, there was nobody. I mean, as far as income wise, they were all, you know, hardworking teachers and things like that. But we know, you know, Julie's parents and such great honorable people, but they had no clue. So we had to then ask our accountant, but here's what we found. When we asked our accountant. He didn't really know either because most of the people he worked for were doing taxes were people like Julie's folks who had very predictable W2 type jobs. So we had to really dig deep to start looking for people that could give us advice on how to manage our money 25 years ago that had experience working with people who are entrepreneurs who are, were you know, earning a lot of money and that kind of thing. And some of you guys, most of you guys will experience the same thing. 
And so that's when we started to run into folks that told us about, well, if you're in real estate, these are the ways that, you know, if you're a small business owner, these are the ways that you can uh, in, in, basically save money on your tax bill. These are the ways that you can expense things. This is what depreciation, Tim and Julie, mean. This is what, um, this is how you save money. This is, unfortunately, along the way, we had some really great financial mentors, formal and otherwise. You know, they didn't adopt us as their mentees, but we adopted them as our mentors. So we haunted them and got the information we wanted to out of them. You know, there was a lot of people like that in our lives, fortunately, but we had to seek them out. Again, coaching didn't exist. This wasn't available to us. So I'm, we're saving you guys a lot of effort. And then from that, we, we started putting it together. We learned about, um, you know, all the things we've been telling you about as far as real estate. Now we're going to tell you about something that's very fascinating that if you use it correctly, can save you crap tons of money. It's called IRS code 179. Now, before we get into the weeds, I want to remind you, we're not accountants. We're not nothing. We're just, we are what we are. We're not attorneys. We're not accountants. So if we give you information that in, yeah, that's not 100% accurate, well, assume the information we're giving you is not 100% accurate. What we're trying to do is plant the seeds. Now, Julie's obviously going to read you stuff that she found from the IRS website and things like that, but we're planting the seeds and we expect you then to take this information to your tax preparers. And, and if you don't have a good one, they're not going to know about this. And that's one of the things I always ask them. I, if I were interviewing a new accountant, I'd say, explain IRS code 179 to me. Or I would yeah. ask them to explain to me what a professional real estate investor is. And I'd listen to see if they knew. And, and I, when Julie and I were looking for a new accountant about 10, well, maybe 15 years ago. That's how I interviewed them. I would cold call them, even if there are referrals from other people. I'd say, can you please explain to me what this is and this is? And I found that virtually all of them had no clue about some of the very basic, you know, tax things that entrepreneurs and business owners have been using for years because they aren't used to doing returns for people like us. So what did that tell me? It's not their job to know how to save me money on taxes. And this was a huge paradigm shift for me. It's my job to know how to save me money on taxes and tell them that's how it's supposed to work. And that goes for everything that goes with investing that goes. So the old Ronald Reagan thing, trust, but verify, do your homework, have the, you don't have to have an intricate understanding of all this stuff, but you have to have an understanding and you take it to them and you have them validate your approach to uh, your idea about saving taxes or whatever. Okay. We are all for paying the taxes that are owed. We're all against paying any taxes that are not owed just because you had a, a lazy approach to, you know, doing your taxes. If you have a tax deduction that you can take, you should take it. And then you should take that money and you should reinvest it. So you can, you know, help your family and help your, you know, that. So back to the story about Julie and I, our first year in the business. So the second year rolled around, we were told we owed a big amount of money in taxes. Unfortunately, we had one big transaction on Ely Court in New Albany, Ohio for $1.3 million that were able to pay most of the tax bill. But it had not been for that, our second year in real estate, we would have been paying the taxes for the first year. We just got lucky, in other words. So we never made that mistake again. These are the taxes are one of the number one reasons that uh, entrepreneurs and real estate professionals get into trouble because they don't pay their taxes on time. That's when you guys are, you know, trying to bail out of uh, past mistakes. It's almost always taxes. And so listen to what we're saying. Don't roll your eyes and say, oh my gosh, Tim and Julie are talking about arcane tax law. Pay attention to this. Take these notes and then talk to your real estate or your tax professional, your tax professional who's an attorney or even better, and then ask them what they're doing. I mean, they're business owners. They should be doing some of these same things themselves and then choose wisely. Do not assume 
that all these guys are the same, just like not all real estate folks or all real estate coaches for that matter are the same. Assume that not all accountants are the same. Assume that all financial planners are the same. Assume that you are going to have to know enough to know what you need to know. And don't assume that they're going to have uh, as your primary, as their primary objective, saving you taxes. Their primary objective is to get the taxes done so they can send you your invoice, not to try to save you money. You guys with me on that? It's a paradigm shift, but this is how rich people think. Rich people don't wait around for their CPA to tell them how to save money in taxes because the CPA's job is to do the taxes. You have to be bringing the ideas to the CPA. Does that make sense, Julie? Absolutely. It's, I was just thinking it's funny how used to having to compete agents get, you know, and getting those questions and having to objection handle. But then when it's time for us to hire an accountant or an attorney, sometimes we just go too trustingly and don't ask those questions. So it's okay to put the shoe on the other foot and have some questions written down. You know, yesterday we talked about depreciation for rental property. If you're having to explain that to them, you have the wrong accountant. Same, <coughs> excuse me, same thing for this section 179. One of the nice things, um, <coughs> sorry, about the uh, tax code is that it's easy to find online. All of these things are there for you to read and digest. It gets updated all the time. They actually tell you uh, how current the update was. So it's pretty easy to become knowledgeable. What we're doing today is giving you enough knowledge to ask those questions so that you then can hire the right accountant and make sure you're getting all the deductions that are there for you to have. So most people think that the Section 179 deduction is some kind of uh, mysterious or complicated or secret tax code. It isn't, uh, but it's gotten that reputation. It basically allows businesses to deduct the full year purchase price of qualifying equipment and or software purchased or financed. So that's a, a nice little caveat. You can finance it if you need to and still get the deduction. That means if you buy or lease a piece Hold of on, qualifying equipment. Hold on, cover there. But yes. Julia, don't, it, there's only a cert, it's called a capital lease. None of you guys will do capital leases. But in the IRS code, it says you can lease. But I'm telling you, you can't lease for the sake of everyone listening. So the buy or lease section, just All scrape right. that from your mind. It's a capital lease, which is only done by really big companies. But Julie's taking this right from the IRS website, I can tell. Yeah. So for the sake of what you're doing, for sake of what you guys are doing, we're going to be using, uh, we're going to be using heavy vehicles, a vehicle that's over 6,000 gross vehicle weight. And Julie's going to give you a list of them. We're going to use that as an example. But please listen to what she just said. You can use IRS tax code for virtually anything that you buy in your real estate business, computers, office equipment. Um, in some cases, you can use it for commercial buildings. Like if you build a building, in some cases, depending on the nature of the business, you can actually deduct that as well. We have um, coaching clients who also own farms. And if you own a farm and you're using the building that you built, say you built a metal pole bar and it costs you $100,000, you can write all that off in the first year uh, if the barn is being used for specific use. Now, if you, you know, Johnny homeowner builds a pole bar in your backyard just to store your lawnmower and you're saying it's a business expense, that won't fly. So again, we're going to focus for the sake of everyone listening on how this specifically works for heavy vehicles. A heavy vehicle is considered something over 6,000 gross vehicle, or 6,000 gross vehicle pounds, GSW, no, gross vehicle weight. Uh, and again, we're going to give you a list of it there, but you can buy it on finance. That's the thing a lot of you don't understand. You think you have to pay cash. So if you want to go buy a new Yukon today for, I don't even know how to say cost, 40 grand, but you don't have 40 grand, you can finance it, but you can use the entire purchase price of 40 grand as a tax deduction this year, even though you haven't paid for the whole thing. You bought it on finance. Like, you know, think about this, guys. Some of you are going to run up against tax bills this year. 
And now remember, this is a we're giving you the updated version of how IRS Code 179 works starting in 2018. In 2017, it had to be, I think it was um you did the deduction over five years, but in 2018, you can do it all in the first year. So some of you are going to be saying, I owe this amount of money in taxes. You're going to listen to this podcast. You're going to then say, I'm going to go buy a new Range Rover. And then miraculously, the taxes that you owed uh, will be wiped out or nearly completely wiped out. Now, you'll still have to pay for the difference in the Range Rover. So, you know, financially, Dave Ramsey probably wouldn't agree with this unless you really, really wanted a new truck or needed one. But this is what small business owners and entrepreneurs have been doing for years. But the IRS code itself, which has been around for like decades, guys, it's always been tweaked with by the politicians, but now it applies to doing the full depreciation in year one. That's the reason all of you need to know about it. So, you know, go ahead, Julie. Sorry. Well, so why are we bringing this to you? You have to drive something. Many of you have SUVs anyway or are considering upgrading to something a little bit bigger and safer. You might as well get a, a tax deduction as a result of that uh, vehicle change, right? So it just makes sense. Um, so what do you need to know about this? How much can you save on your taxes in 2018? It depends on the amount of qualifying equipment and software, and, and in this case, heavy vehicles we're talking about that you purchase. It does include any and all increases from future legislation. So this is something that may be updated through the year. A lot of what I was reading in my research said to look for future updates. All of it sounded pretty positive to me. Uh, what, what type of equipment? Well, there's a place on their website. Uh, it actually says on the IRS tax code, click here to find out about qualifying properties. So you can dive into that or have your accountant do so. When do I have to do this by? Section 179 for 2018 expires 1231-2018. Makes sense. If you want to deduct the full price of your vehicle or your equipment from 2018 taxes and take advantage of the higher deduction limit, it has to be purchased and, quote, put into service, used by you in a qualifying way, by then. So what types of vehicles, and it's interesting, Tim, I hadn't looked at this uh, this way before, and maybe you hadn't either. There's a lot of vehicles that their base equipment doesn't get to 6,000 6, pounds, but you can basically upgrade them to the point where they go over 6,000 pounds. So you have to look at all of those things. Typical cars, and these are great real estate cars, are things like your Cadillacs, your Escalades, your, um, you know, some of the other types of SUVs. And some of you guys are already having pickup trucks, even the F-150, which you wouldn't have thought of as being a heavy vehicle. When you outfit it, you can get just barely over 6,000 pounds. Um, the Land Rover Tim mentioned, some of the Mercedes that you guys like, great well, real estate so, cars, that's qualified. So, like the, so well, let's have your thing, so I'll defer let's, to you. Let's pick our favorite ones, Julie. So you can get a yes. Porsche Cayenne and deduct it. And that's all Cayenne. So even the lesser expensive one, all the way up to the you know the Cayenne Turbo S, you can get any of the Mercedes. So any of the Mercedes trucks, the MLs, the Gs, all those things will qualify. Remember, guys, you have to buy this, but you can buy used. So if you were to buy a used one, which would make financial sense, obviously, because these things like to take a big step back in their first year, usually by 15 or 20 percent and depreciation, you can buy one that's used and still deduct the purchase price of the used vehicle. You guys can kind of see how there's going to be a lot of agents rolling around and new uh, SUVs. Now, here's something that's odd. I don't know for sure the answer to this, but there are actually some cars that weigh over 6,000 pounds, too. Um, for example, uh, almost all the Bentleys weigh over 6,000 pounds. Almost all the Rolls Royces uh, weigh over six. Well, bo both the Rolls Royces weigh over 6,000 pounds. I checked this for one of my coaching clients um, that sells in Beverly Hills. 
And I, now, can you write off the, uh, a Bentley that weighs over 6,000 pounds? You can. And you can write that off uh, just as if you would an SUV. So it doesn't have to be an SUV. Uh, so if you want to get a, you know, if you want to get a lesser expensive vehicle, if you don't want to spend that much money, you can, again, look into used vehicles, but you can buy, uh, here's some Hondas you can qualify, you know, like the, um, what is it, Honda Pilot. Um, I don't know what some of these are. A Jeep Grand Cherokee qualifies. I don't think that's that expensive. Lexus uh, SUVs qualify. Don't expect the salespeople to know shit about this because they probably won't. You need to do your homework ahead of time. And again, talk to your accountant. But you can save some fairly decent money. Again, my two suggestions are if you're ready to upgrade your vehicle anyway, uh, definitely do it this year. I'm going to assume that this code isn't going to change anytime soon. So there's no like rush just to do it in one year. But do consider uh, upgrading this year to a vehicle that weighs, it has to weigh 6,000 gross vehicle. It's like basically the wet weight. With, if it were full of people and full of gas and all fluids, how much does it weigh? I'm pretty sure that's how it's calculated. Um, Julie's going to publish this list of qualifying vehicles. And I'm just looking at this. I'm telling you guys, this is not a complete list. This is just a partial list, but it'll get you started anyway. She's going to publish it on our website, timandjulieharris.com. Um, and just when you're there, use the search bar and just put in, uh, 179 at the top or put in uh, like IRS code 179 and this will come up. But the point of this is, is you need to be proactive about what you're doing uh, on your taxes. The biggest mistake that we made and that you can make is assuming that the person sitting on the other side of the desk, your CPA, your you know financial planner or any of those other people are doing anything other than just basically fulfilling a transaction. They're not thinking about your goals. They're not really thinking beyond just basically providing you the service, charging you and getting you on and getting onto their next client. You have to assume that's how people operate. We had, so after going through a bunch of uh, accountants, we ended up hiring this big accountant, accountancy in Columbus. And they sent, Julie, do you remember this? They were downtown. They sent us this outrageous bill. So yeah. Fred, had been, Fred had been charging us like hundreds of dollars per year. And they send us this bill for like $10,000 for doing the exact same thing. And so we thought for sure when we hire, because we gotten some advice from or some referrals from some of our well-off clients. And they said, oh, you want to use this one. Okay, some doctors and whatever. And so you got to use this, you know, these guys are the best. So we used them. The tax return was identical to the one that Fred was doing. We thought these guys were going to come to us and say, well, you should have maxed out this and you should have reduced this and you should have, nope, they just did the same thing that Fred did and just charged us like a thousand times more. Now, they were all, that was my little epiphany. It's not their job to save us money on taxes. It's just their job to take the information we give them. And it's their job to get the form it's done, turn it into the IRS and tell us how much we owe. That's their job. It's your job as an entrepreneur, your job. So guys, think of it like this. Is it someone's job to basically generate leads for you? Is it someone's job to basically help you to be successful like in your brokerage? Is that your broker's job? It is not. Your broker's job is just to give you a place to hang your license and basically make it so that you get all the legal paperwork and all the other stuff that the requirements for you know being in the real estate business. That's it. That's your broker's job. To expect your broker to do more than that is ridiculous. That is not their job. It is your job to know how to run your business. It is your job to know how to lead generate. It is your job to know how to run a profitable business. Your broker's not going to tell you. He might not know himself. It's your job to learn how to save money and reinvest that money. It's your job then to know what to do with the money that you have as a profit from your business. And we've given you some hints here. Buying real estate as investing, you know, investing in real estate is one of the best ways to um, build wealth. I don't think there's a better one for normal people. I haven't come across it anyway. I mean, I suppose playing lottery, 
<laughs> you know, or maybe you're maybe you're great friends with someone who's about to take their company public and they're going to you know give you a bunch of shares for nothing. But if that's not on your horizon, buying real estate, long term buy and hold real estate is without a doubt one of the best ways to build wealth in the history of how to build wealth. Now, you can't do it unless you understand how to actually have the cash to do it. And a good place to start is understanding where you're probably not, you know, leveraging all the advantages you have as a small business owner and entrepreneur uh, when it comes to paying taxes. You know, your single biggest expense when you start earning money per year is not going to be your marketing. It's certainly not going to be your coaching, though that would be nice. It's going to be your taxes. And so you have to take that seriously. And if you don't, you're going to find yourself feeling very frustrated that you haven't accumulated more money, you haven't purchased more real estate, your net worth's not higher than it should be despite your income. Julie, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it, I would put it on the top, if not the number one thing I wish that somebody would have helped us with earlier. And I wish that your brokers were better at this, but again, it's not their job to be. I, I put it in the top, you know, one, two or three items that you really have to be frosty about. Nobody is going to come to you and say, here are the 10 things that are going to save you money on your taxes. It's just not going to happen. Stop expecting that. Stop assuming that. I think it's really critical that you get in front of it. It's so common that people will come to us starting their coaching relationship. And in that first conversation, when we're diving into what their financial situation is, they'll tell us, you know, how much, how far behind they are in their taxes. And this is what caused it. And I had no idea and nobody's ever helped me with this. And so now it's unburying from that to just get to zero and then become profitable again. And that's, that's sad. I mean, that's not how it should be. So that's why we're taking some time with you guys to plant some seeds and give you some breadcrumbs to follow and help you know how to have a better accounting situation for yourselves because you work so hard for your commission dollars and you help so many people through so many situations, you need to be keeping as much of that as you can. That's what we believe. Remember, yeah, your product is profit. Last I that's checked. right. And we're not telling you how to, uh, we're not, the, you know, we, we believe in paying our taxes. We believe it's our, you know, our civic responsibility, if you will, as a citizen of the United States, the greatest country in the face of the earth, in the history of the earth, by the way, in our opinion, in a lot of people's opinion. Um, and yeah, you have to pay your portion to basically be a citizen of this magnificent country in which we live. So I'm not suggesting that you not pay your taxes, but I am suggesting you understand the laws and how you can benefit from essentially understanding the laws. And you have to be responsible for knowing how to do things. Uh, so here's another little trap you might fall into, talking to top producers in your office, assuming that they know what the hell is going on. They probably don't either. They probably just have some accountant that they just throw everything at once per year and hoping that accountants got their butts covered. And usually, guys, they don't for the reasons that we've stated. So please, you have to be proactive about all this stuff. And I know some of you feel intimidated by this. I know some of you are scared by this. I know some of you basically having these thoughts, talking about money, literally is giving you 100% red line stress, even thinking about it. I get it. Um, and, you know, Julie, you honestly you used to be that way. How would you work past that? I was thinking I still can induce those stressful feelings if I think about it too much. Yeah, I mean, I think that knowledge equals confidence, and ignorance is what makes you freak out. So I think the more you've got knowledge and don't hide out from these things and make sure you do have the facts, and that doesn't mean you have to while away your afternoons reading tax code. It is pretty boring, but you need to know how to access it and what applies to you. And Tim, you mentioned something yesterday we need to dive into as well, which is the real estate professional designation. So we're going to talk to them on a future podcast about that as well. 
Yes, that's another thing. I know we mentioned that today too. That's another thing that you guys as licensees, when you start purchasing real estate property, uh, again, your accountant's just going to say, okay, you can depreciate it over 27 and a half years. You can't depreciate the land. You can depreciate the improvements and whatever, whatever. And then you're going to ask him about real estate professionally. He's going to go, huh? And you're going to, then he's going to say, oh, you don't qualify for that. Yes, you do. You basically have to show that you put in a certain number of hours per year into basically your real estate investing business, which all of you will easily do. And then you qualify for it. That means that if you have a mortgage on your property, in addition to all the write-offs that a civilian could take, you could also write off the interest on the loan. Okay. Again, this will offset the taxes you're paying from the income you earn in your real estate business. Do you guys see how this is a wonderful thing? So yes, Julie, we do need to deep dive into that more. Yep. And man, I can't believe we did one show on the IRS code 179 and it wasn't that boring. I'm proud of us. <laughs> I know, me too. I got to go to Premier. I'll toss it back to you. But yes, the adventure continues. <laughs> You guys have a fantastic day. If you need us for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.